today, let's just say there's somebody in the crowd or there's somebody online who would say, preacher, you got one shot to convince me to follow Jesus. Now, because of my personality, I'd go, challenge accepted. All right? Now, what, what I would do today, though, is I would not try to defend the history of the church because there's been some really strange things done in the name of the church. And actually, there's not just weekends of embarrassment for church history. There are decades of embarrassment for church history. So I wouldn't try to defend the church. I wouldn't try to defend Christians or even the way some Christians have treated you because Christians do some weird things that aren't from God, that aren't from the Bible. I'm not going to try to defend that. And I'm not even going to try to defend or start with the Bible today. Now, you need to understand, I read, study the Bible every day. It's extremely important to me. I want to be under its authority. But I'm not going to start with the Bible today because there were thousands of Christians before there was ever anything gathered, to that, gathered together called the Bible. What I would start with today is the event we're celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Easter Sunday morning. See, there were tens of thousands of people that believed Jesus rose from the dead before there was ever a Bible. In fact, people started believing Jesus rose from the dead the day that Jesus rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, the people in the vicinity of Jerusalem, the city where he was, he was crucified, buried, where those, those people and all of the folks in the surrounding territory did what you would have done if you watched somebody claim to be the Messiah, killed, put in a tomb, and then you have breakfast with him a few days later on the beach. They took to social media. They did. They had their own social media. It's not like our social media, but they had social media the day. What they would do is they would begin talking to others about, this just happened. They would tell people in their family. They would tell their neighbors. They would go out into the markets, and they would tell everybody, and then they would begin to write it down. So I want you to consider today, if you're going to consider following Jesus, the social media accounts of several different people. The first one is Matthew. Matthew was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was a tax collector. Jesus said, follow me. He left his tax collecting business, and he followed Jesus. And after the resurrection... Not only did he tell people, he began to write it down, and it became the first book of the New Testament called Matthew. Now, you said, wait a minute, you told me you're not going to use the Bible. Before it was a Bible, it was a letter. Matthew said, this is such a big deal. I need to write these things in a letter so that people can circulate this around. It wasn't called the Bible yet. It wasn't called the New Testament. It was simply his account, eyewitness account of what did Jesus do, how did he rise from the dead. Second social media account is of a guy named Mark, or sometimes you've heard him referred to as John Mark. John Mark Mark was not one of the disciples. He was, he was a friend of the disciples. He knew all of the disciples, and he, he talked to them personally and actually traveled on some journeys with the disciples, and he investigated from the beginning Jesus' life, and he wrote down a chronological account of Jesus' life from eyewitness testimonies. So the first one, Matthew, eyewitness. Mark knew the eyewitnesses and talked to the eyewitnesses. Number three, oh, I love this guy, Dr. Luke. You need to consider the social media account of Dr. Luke. He was a medical doctor at that time, and I want you to read what he has to say, his own social media post when he was writing about this in Luke chapter 1. Many people, he said, not just me, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Look what he says. They used what kind of reports? Eyewitness reports. What kind of reports? Eyewitness reports circulating among, among us from the early disciples. We didn't take second or third generation disciples. We took the very first generation disciples, eyewitnesses. We talked to them. Look what he says. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you. Remember those words, accurate account. Most honorable Theophilus. We don't even know who he was, but we know he was honorable because Luke called him that. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, 
I did a little research on this this week, and Luke was actually the one for thousands of years, people were like, we're not sure this Luke guy knew what he was talking about. Because Luke used so many names of so many obscure places. He used people who were in power. He used people who were not in power. He named so many things. If you were making this up, you don't had, have this many names. You don't talk about Weeches, Texas or Dew, Texas if you want somebody to know what you're talking about. And he claimed all of these different places. And then about 100 years ago, a man who was not a follower of Jesus said, I'm going to disprove the Bible once for all. I'm going to use Dr. Luke's testimony, his, his written um, letter, and I'm going to prove that the Bible is not accurate. The dude went to the Holy Land, spent years in the Holy Land, and he found out every single place and every person that Luke mentioned is accurate. He's probably the most accurate of all of the New Testament writers when he, can, when he has all of these medical terms and when he has all of these places and all of these people who were alive. They have found references, references to it so much so that this non-follower of Jesus said there's so much evidence for Luke that he was right on. That guy became a follower of Jesus. You need to consider these social media accounts. Another one is by a guy named John. So you got Matthew follower of Jesus. You got Mark, knew all the followers of Jesus. You got Dr. Luke, who knew all of the followers of Jesus and actually traveled with some of them. And then you got this guy named John. The fourth letter in the New Testament is from John. He was an eyewitness, and he was actually the first disciple to go into, or not go into, to see into an empty tomb. He didn't go in. We'll talk about that in a minute. He runs, gets there. He stares into an empty tomb. First guy, eyewitness, writes it down. The fifth guy I want you to consider is Peter. Peter was the most outspoken of Jesus' followers. And, on, and 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead in Jerusalem, not thousands of miles away, all they had to do was produce a dead body. If they didn't want people to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, they couldn't do it. So in the very city where he was crucified, laid in a tomb, and he resurrected from the dead, 50 days later, Peter preaches the first sermon, and 3,000 people said, there's so much evidence, I'm going to become a Jesus follower too. These guys knew what they were talking about. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Peter, all followers of Jesus, eyewitnesses wrote it down. Now, the next guy is, is probably the strangest, but also most compelling follower of Jesus, and his name is James. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. What would it take, we've talked about this many times, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he's the son of God? Larry Washburn, Terry Washburn, not son of God. And they would tell you, Douglas Washburn, not son of God. We know him. We changed his diaper. Okay. It would take a lot for your brother to convince you. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus was alive, James, his half-brother, was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, a lot of them thought he was kind of crazy. Uh, One time, now Mary didn't, but the rest of his family thought he was crazy. So one time Jesus is in the synagogue. Every Sabbath day, he would go to the synagogue and he would teach. And this one particular day, there's a man there with a shriveled hand. The Bible tells us this. And if you read the story, it may have been that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, may have planted him there because it says they were watching to see if Jesus would dare to heal a shriveled-handed man on the Sabbath day. Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus says to them, he goes, you, let, me, let me ask you a question. Is it, is it proper to do good or bad on the Sabbath day? And all the religious leaders just looked at him, crickets. And then he said, is it, is it proper to kill or to save a life on the Sabbath day? And all the religious leaders crickets and then Jesus gets mad and look what happens in Mark chapter 3 verse 5 he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts then he said to the man he he made him stand up hold out your hand so the man held out his hand and it was restored if that happened here we'd be going yay God showed up let's tell everybody about it is that what happened 
Absolutely not. Look what happens. At once, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. You went to kill him from he healed somebody on the Sabbath day at church? God forbid that should happen. Now, just a few verses later, Jesus has been teaching. All this stuff is going on. Crowds are coming. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. The Pharisees are, are having debates with him, and they're losing every debate. And then he goes into this house in verse 20. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, the healings, the casting out demons, that the religious leaders were trying to kill him, here's what they said. They tried to take him away and they said, he's out of his mind. He's lost it. Let's take him away. Even his own family did not believe in Jesus when he was alive. But after the resurrection, I'm going to show you this in a minute. Jesus appears to James, and James is so changed that he becomes one of the main leaders of the Jerusalem church in the city where Jesus was crucified because he said, I'm God's son. Now, what could, what could make him change like that? It's because he was absolutely convinced that his brother rose from the dead and was Savior and Lord, Son of God. Now, we have another letter, and actually the most letters from this, another really interesting guy who was not a follower of Jesus when Jesus was alive, and his name is Paul. Actually, his name starts off as Saul, but we're going to call him Paul because well, he's running around, he's persecuting Christians. He's, he actually applauds when Christians are killed. He's throwing Christians in jail, and then all of a sudden he's going to throw Christians in jail, and Jesus appears to him and not only changes his heart, he changes his name. And, and the Apostle Paul then travels around all of the Mediterranean Sea planting new churches, and he's absolutely convinced Jesus rose from the dead. See, we don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because we have the Bible. It's way better than that. We believe Jesus rose from the dead because we have eyewitnesses from the day of that said Jesus rose from the dead. These first century people knew Jesus, and either they were eyewitnesses of or they hung out with the eyewitnesses of, and they wrote it down for us. And then they all died martyrs' deaths rather than say, nope, nope, it's a hoax. I was just kidding. I don't really believe in him. They said, you can kill me. My God lives. I've seen the son live, my God lives. Now, so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, followers of Jesus. You got James and, um, and Paul who were not followers of Jesus while Jesus was alive. Then this next guy, you gotta pay attention. He's never a follower of Jesus, but you need to consider his social media account. This guy is named Nero, Emperor Nero. Have you even heard of Nero? All right, a few, not, not many of you, okay. Those of you who have heard of Nero, he was emperor of Rome. Do you, know, um, do you know how many wars he won? Do you know the name of his famous mama? Do you, um, do you know who was emperor right before him? Not unless you're a nerd like me and you've read about it. But there's two things almost everybody who's heard about Nero knows about Nero. The first thing is he was blamed for burning down the city of Rome. You see, he wanted to expand his palace. It wasn't big enough and he was landlocked. And so Historians tell us that he set fire to Rome and it burned like 90% of Rome, burned to the ground. And immediately he started building his palace. He expands his palace. And everyone's like, that dude did it so that he expanded his palace. Well, he decided the second thing people, uh, everybody who's heard about Nero knows is he blamed the fire on Christians. If you're blaming it on me, I've got to blame it on somebody else. Well, why the Christians? Well, Romans said Caesar is Lord. 
Um, Romans said the Roman Empire will live forever. Christians said Jesus is Lord. We have a different kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so if you're Roman and you're threatened by this different kingdom and this different king, it makes sense to, to persecute people who follow him. And so Nero was this incredibly bad guy, and he would like take the Christians and he would put animal skins on them. He would put them in with a pack of dogs, and everybody would stand around, all the Romans would stand around, yeah, let's get rid of those. If you think your, your God is Lord, our God is is Lord see you're dying he would crucify him you're going to say Jesus is Lord then I'm going to crucify you like and he crucified him by the thousands and then he was such a twisted guy that he would take Christians and he would set them on fire on crosses to light up his garden parties and he said this is how we treat people who say Caesar isn't Lord and Jesus is Lord and those people in Rome Roman Christians who converted to to Christianity said we will we believe Jesus is alive you can kill us because our God lives this this is a big deal so I got a question for you um if you were sitting across the table from me and I were to ask you you know I got one shot to convince you to follow Jesus I would ask you this question do you know why Nero could persecute Christians in Rome 30 years after the resurrection Short answer is because there were Christians in Rome 30 years after the resurrection. Now, let me give you a little bit longer answer. A lot of people have studied this, and they, they realize it takes a minimum of 40 years for legend to begin to get into a story, myth and legend to creep into a story, and people begin to believe these things that didn't really happen. It's kind of based loosely on something that happened. A minimum of 40 years. Most scholars say it's between 60 and 80 years or maybe even 100 years for myth and legend to get into a story that didn't really happen. That's because the people who were eyewitnesses have to be what? If, if you're going to have myth and legend get in the story. They have to be dead because you bring them forward and say, no, 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 this, isn't what, what, this is what happened. Eyewitnesses, we would have testimony about that. So history tells us when Nero is looking for someone to blame for the fire, he blames the Christians. And there were thousands and thousands of Christians in Rome, Romans who said, we're going to say Jesus is Lord. You can kill us. You can do whatever you want to. We're going to claim that Jesus is Lord. We're not going to renounce the real Lord. And so I ask you this question. Do you know why Nero could persecute Christians in Rome 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus? Short answer, because there were Christians there. 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. There were thousands and thousands of Christians there. And the reason he, he could blame them is because they were there long before there was a Bible. The Bible hadn't even shown up yet. The letters were there, but not the Bible. And a lot of people say, well, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I think a lot of people made it up or there were copious errors and people back then didn't believe that Jesus was really resurrected. We don't believe it because the Bible says it. We believe it because there were eyewitnesses who said Jesus rose from the grave, they told people, they wrote about it, and we believe it because within 30 years, there are thousands and thousands of Christ followers in, in Rome, not just in Jerusalem and in Judea, but Rome is 1,500 miles from Jerusalem where Jesus was resurrected from the dead. How did it spread? Because of the social media accounts of the people of that day. If there were thousands and thousands of people in Rome believing Jesus rose from the dead 30 years after the resurrection, it means there were probably thousands of people believing Jesus rose from the dead 20 years after the resurrection, which means there's probably hundreds of people within 10 years of the resurrection in Rome saying, we believe Jesus is Lord. You don't have enough time for myth and legend to creep into the story. Now, I would begin... In our conversation, I'd say, let's look at what the people who were there said. And let me show you what Paul, Saul turned his name into Paul. Let me show you what he said in 1 Corinthians 
Paul says, for what I received, someone taught Paul this, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, and then to the 12. He's going to list all these people who saw Jesus alive. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, Christians, Christ followers, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Okay, let's just take that. 500 people, he's saying they're still alive. Okay, some of them have fallen asleep. Let's say 50 of them have fallen asleep. There's still 450 people who are alive who saw Jesus alive. Go talk to them. Okay, where you say, well, we don't know how many people have fallen asleep. Okay, there's 100. There's 400. Okay, 250 of them are dead. 250 of them are alive. That's still a lot of testimony. If we're going to go to the court of law today and we have 250 witnesses say we saw him alive and you're on the jury what are you going to believe 250 people are lying they're telling you we saw him alive we base it on the fact that there were eyewitness testimony then he appeared to James remember I told you he appeared to his half-brother and it rocked James world when he saw his brother alive then all the apostles and last of all he appeared to me so so Paul is saying last of all he came to me And as time went on, people got these letters, these documents, and they said, this is precious. This is eyewitness testimony. And they meticulously copied it. And they began to pass it around to all these churches all over the known world. And then about 200 years later, 200 years on, they collect them and they they put it in what's called the Bible. Now, at this council, they didn't decide what went in the Bible. They affirmed what everyone already said was the Bible. See, in order for it to be collected and put in the New Testament, it had to be approved of from the very beginning. From the earliest disciples, they had to say, this is the word of God. So Peter calls Paul's writings the word of God. And so for 200 years, everyone who was a Christian had to say, this is the word of God. And anything that wasn't written by an eyewitness or or by someone who uh, talked to eyewitnesses, knew those eyewitnesses, it did not get in the Bible because everybody rejected that. So we believe it, not because we have a Bible. We believe it because there were eyewitness testimonies long before there was a Bible. We believe it because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Paul, and even a dude named Nero, and even his historian mentions Jesus Christ being crucified because he said. So a non-Christian historian said, there's a Jesus 1,500 miles from here 30 years ago. He was crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God. And then they even say, and then they claim that he rose from the dead. Wow. Now, here's the other thing you need to understand. When Jesus was crucified and he died, even though people had these unbelievable high hopes for him, when he died, there were no Jesus followers. When Jesus died, everybody unfollowed him. Why? Because because he was dead. The game was over. There's no cause to keep alive. Everybody's status changed from follower to unfollow. It's not that they didn't appreciate what he taught. It's not that they didn't appreciate that he healed people and he cast out demons and all that. The problem was Jesus made claims about himself that were too big to ignore. And when he died, they believed that his, his claims that were undermined because he's dead. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And people were going, the way, the truth, and the life can't die? He told Martha, the the, uh, sister of Lazarus, right before he healed him, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life doesn't die. Messiahs don't die. And when he did, everyone unfollowed him. Okay, that begs another question. If they all unfollowed him when he died, what happened to make them followers again? I want to show you one more social media account. It's of a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. 
And I want to read you her account. Early Sunday morning, that's the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone was rolled aside from the entrance. Now, you need to understand, Mary was healed by Jesus. She became a Jesus follower. She believed he was the, the Messiah. She, she followed him everywhere, and she believed everything he claimed. Um, he dies, and she wakes up on Sunday morning, and she thought, you know what? Even though I'm crushed, even though I'm depressed because I thought he was the Savior and he can't be the Savior, I'm going to go, and I'm going to embalm his body to get him ready for permanent death. And so she, she goes um, out there, and uh, she's going to re-embalm him. And here's the most important part. When she gets there, she does not expect to find Jesus alive. She's expecting to find a dead body that she can embalm because he was dead. Because nobody believed he was alive. They all expected him to be in the grave. So look what it says. She ran and found, uh, wait, wait, I skipped something. Let me go back. Uh, early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone was rolled aside from the entrance. All right. She ran and found Simon Peter and, and me, so this is John who's writing this, and said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and I don't know where they have put him. We ran to the tomb. We, John and, and, and Peter, ran to the tomb. And I love this. I outran Peter. Okay, John's a lot younger than Peter. This is like Caleb, my son, going, I outran my dad. Well, whoop-de-doo, I'm 54 years old, home chicken. If you can't outrun me, you got problems. I don't know why. I just thought that was funny. I outran Peter and got there first. But look, he says, and stooped and looked in and saw the linen client there. He didn't, but I didn't go in. We don't know why he doesn't go in, but check out Peter. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. So if I'm like, I'm like, get out the way, home chicken. You may have beat me, but I'm going in first. Take that. <laughs> look what it says. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the cloth lying there while the swath that had been covering Jesus' head was rolled up in a bundle and was lying at the side. Then I went into, John goes into, second, of course, and saw and believed, look at this, we believed that he'd risen, Uh, this blows my mind, for until then we hadn't realized that the scriptures said he would come to life again, until that moment, we didn't know what all this stuff was saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, they didn't know, and then you'd think they'd go, hey everybody, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, no, mm -mm. we went on home, Jesus is alive. We went home. Now, I'm sorry. If you're making this up, you're probably going, I immediately stood on the stone of the tomb, and I said, Jesus is alive. No, they went home. And then look at this. By that time, Mary had returned to the tomb and was standing outside crying. Why is she crying? Because it's over. Nobody's expecting to find an empty tomb. They're expecting a body. As she wept, she stooped and looked inside and saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying? The angels ask her. By the way, this, this settles an age-old question about whether angels are men or women. They're men, because only a man would go, woman, why are you crying? <laughs> little resurrection humor there. Why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't, where they have, don't know where they've put him. She glanced over her shoulder, and she saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him, and I think Jesus is grinning ear to ear because he knows she doesn't know yet. And there's this surprise, and he knows he's about to rock her world. She's been crying because Jesus is dead, and she's about to see him alive, and he's grinning, and it's going to be awesome. And he asks her, why are you crying? But look, he adds another question. Whom are you looking for? And then this makes me laugh. First service didn't think this was funny at all. Whom are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. 
If there was Facebook Live back then, somebody would have said, we got to record this story. you got to tell this story. And, and, you know, if you've heard this story before and you're bringing your friend, listen to this story, listen to this story, she, she thinks Jesus is dead, she's crying, she turns around, and she thinks he's the gardener. He's the son of God. She thinks he's the gardener. I think that's funny. I guess I got to, I don't know. I guess I got a weird sense of humor. That's funny to me because you know if you've heard this story, you're going, here comes, here comes punchline, punchline. She thinks he's the gardener. He's the risen son of God. All right, I'll stop. <laughs> Why does she think he's the gardener? Because no one thought he was alive. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said, and she turned toward him. She said, Master or teacher, Rabboni. We don't know why he says this. He says, don't touch me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. Look what he says. Go find my brothers and tell them I ascend to my Father and, my, and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples. So she, she ran to tell the disciples. They moved, they, somebody stole the body. They moved the stone. She ran back. She's crying. She thinks she sees the gardener. And then the gardener is Jesus. And Jesus says, go back and tell my, my friends. So she runs back. And she says, I've seen the Lord. I didn't see a body. I didn't even see the empty tomb. I saw the risen Lord. Then she gave them his message. Okay, we went home. Remember the disciples? We went on home. That evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors in fear of the Jewish leaders. We went home, and we were scared to death. Big, strong fishermen hiding because they said Jesus isn't Lord. And look what happens. When suddenly Jesus was standing there among them, after greeting them, he showed them his hands and his side, and how wonderful was their joy as they saw their Lord, and it changed them into people who would die for this message that I've seen a dead man walking. You can beat me, you can crucify me, you can light me on fire, but I've seen him alive, and it's changed me forever. Now, let me tell you why this is such a big deal, that a woman is the first one who saw it, because in, in first century Israel, a woman could not testify in a court of law. Legally, she had no you couldn't even bring her in. They would laugh at you if you tried to use her as a witness. They had no credibility. If you were making this up, you would not say that a woman was the first one to see him and then go tell the men. You wouldn't make that up because nobody would believe you. So why then do all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why do they tell us that Mary was the first one to see Jesus? Because that's what happened. The Bible tells you the truth from eyewitness testimony. So Mary says, I've seen the Lord. He's alive. And everything he said is true. Death has been arrested and our lives are beginning new because Jesus is alive. And although her circumstances hadn't changed, although the political climate hadn't changed, when she saw Jesus alive, everything for Mary Magdalene changed. I want you to watch this video and then we'll wrap this up.
So uh, I told the first service, I've just been an emotional wreck all day thinking about what it means that Jesus is alive. I came in practicing, death was arrested, and I, I, couldn't, I could not even make a noise when I was thinking about what it means to be free from my sin and my past. And what it means if it's true. It means my mom and my dad and my sister walked into heaven on the same day. And I will see them again. Every shred of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is evidence that followers of his will be resurrected as well. This day changed history. And how dare we keep silent about it. Would you pray with me? Father, we sang about resurrection power. And we've sung that song before and we've walked out of this church building as if that doesn't exist. We sing praises to you and then we act like you've got no power. You have all power. So God, raise us up to be a generation that seeks your face. Give us clean hands and pure hearts. Let us not turn to anything other than the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. God, if there's somebody here who does not know if they've been adopted into your family, I pray you would put a burning desire in their heart to settle that today on Resurrection Day 2019. We love you, God, and we pray you turn us into a church that no matter what comes, we will still tell people the tomb was empty and the reason it's empty is because you're alive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.